Heyo. Hello. Um. Okay, it's Wednesday. It's nine thirteen p.m. Uh, I don't. I don't know if we need to talk about lateness every episode at this point. <laughs> Should we remind people? For anyone that's new, we're late every week. So we're you not can really great on time. Us. You can count on us to be late, though. We have a, a time management-related disability. Yeah, and can I just say there's something predictable and um, kind of patterned. Like, when you're late all the time, it's not, you know, like, it's it's... It's part of my identity, guys. I identify <laughs> as a late person, so fuck you. Um, Serene in the comments, I'm sorry, I may have pronounced that wrong, apologies, says uh, this counts as on time. Yeah, 100%. It does for me. 10 minutes yeah. late. I mean, um, and I just, I also want to say that <laughs> I guess this is just what we do every episode is make excuses for being late all the time and defend ourselves. Um, but I, my, my bad time management skills affect me negatively more than anyone else. So I'm, I'm punished as well. Yeah. I mean, so I got home, I headed home from this, this remote Island I was on for the past five days or whatever last mm-hmm. night. And I my friend um, brought me over to Lund on the boat and I got there. I had no idea what time any of the ferries were that I was aiming to catch. Like, I feel like any normal person would be like, should I got to take two ferries today and drive for many hours yeah, and try yeah, to yeah. not miss the last ferry so that I'm stranded. <laughs> but not me. <laughs> That's like, exactly eh, right. Lots of I'll time. Get there. I'll get I'll there. So I get to the marina. I'm like, I'm going to go get a coffee. And maybe I'm going to go look around at this weird little hotel. And maybe I should get something to eat. And then I checked the ferry schedule. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm going to fucking miss this ferry by, like, 10 minutes. (laughs) So I could have... Well, I missed the first ferry by 10 minutes, which meant that the only possible ferry I could catch from the Sunshine Coast to Vancouver was the last possible ferry at 10.30 p.m. And that it was going to be like pretty tight. And because also I like wanted to stop and like eat somewhere nice on the way. So instead of having like a leisurely trip home where I could like hang around in like Powell River and look around, which is sort of what I planned to do. I had to like speed on a really windy highway in the dark <laughs> to make it to the 1030 very so I didn't get stranded like and literally not be able to get home last night and then got home yeah. at like I don't know one <laughs> and then had to like do some prep for today <laughs> had to like unpack and work such an idiot this could have been this Sorry. is why my partner's always annoyed with me because I do that and he tries to be like, if we go to this place at this time, then we can get this flight by this time and we can do this. And I just wake up in the morning, I'm like, la, 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 
I don't have a plan for the day. I'm doing whatever's fun. Oh, what's in front of me? I'll go and do that thing. He's like, for fuck's sake, like I've planned this whole thing out so that we would get there. I'm like, but it's not fun when you make when you make it strict and you have rules. It's not fun anymore. So <laughs> oh, you sound so annoying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't, I'm I like to plan. Like, I actually do like to plan things. Oh, I just I can't. It's yeah. It's really just the time issue. Like that's why I I was like. I mean, I wouldn't have been having to speed down a very dark, windy highway if I hadn't stopped to go for dinner at this place on the way. Because in my brain, I had planned. I was like, oh, like I won't be rushing on the way home, so I can stop and try this restaurant that I wanted to try. And I was like so committed to my plan that I was like, was it worth it? I'm doing it. Well, it wasn't very relaxing because I was like stressed yeah. and missing the ferry. Yeah. So I don't know. You know. The food was good. But yeah, I would have liked to like, I don't know. I kind of like when I'm in places that I don't know, I like to go hang out a bit by myself. Like I like yeah. to go to like Take hang around at a restaurant or go to a bar or something like that. And yeah. sort of because I don't know, I feel like I, I, I mean, I probably could do that in Vancouver, but I don't like I wouldn't mm-hmm. go out to eat by myself in Vancouver or go to a bar by myself in Vancouver. Um, Yeah. Which is maybe a little bit silly, but so I always, if I'm places where I like don't, I'm not familiar with it or I don't know people or whatever, I always feel like I want to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Because I actually kind of like going for dinner by myself or going out by myself. Yeah. It's cool. Is it? When you play (laughs) Yeah, that's why when I when I go travel somewhere, I just like I usually just like book a one way ticket at the last minute. And then I'm like, let's just see what happens. (laughs) That's my travel plan. (laughs) That's fun. I think that's a good way to travel. I mean, you don't want to be over planned. Like, I don't want to like schedule activities. I just mean, there's usually like some places that I'm interested in kind of checking out and almost always they're really, they're just food places. It's like bars and restaurants. Other than that, like I don't care. I'm not interested in going to like touristy places. I'm not Mm. interested in like doing activities. I kind of just like want to be able to wander around and be like, Oh, this looks cool. Maybe I'll go here. Mm -hmm. The, Um, The activity schedulers I find pretty stressful. Yeah, although I do have to admit that um, I'm talking about traveling cheap places. I feel like it's uh, a bit different when you're traveling like North America where it's so fucking expensive that you have to like – because we went to Vegas and like obviously hadn't booked anything or planned anything, so we had to pay super high prices to go to like a show or to like get into somewhere because you're meant to book ahead. Okay, so okay. I do understand in in some countries booking is required, even though I find it very rude and unnecessary. Authoritarian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so what are we talking about? Uh I just thought we were chatting about <laughs> your trip. Whatever. Hey, Laura, how are you? How was your week? I like doing check-ins. I like to know how you're doing. I like to know what's going on. I, th- I, f- I prefer to share, like, personal information on Patreon because oh, okay, then okay. you don't get feedback about it because this is the start of YouTube, right? So it's like if people are going to troll you, this is what they're going to troll. Okay. I have noticed that. 
Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, guys, I'm back. I was on a remote island. I didn't really have power or Wi-Fi. Um, I broke a bunch of my nails, and um, I, you know, kind of wore my pajamas for five days in a row. That's cool. Now I'm back and paying attention to things that are going on the on the internet. And so today, I, I think we're going to talk about some things that are going on on the internet. <laughs> Do you feel really relaxed now? <laughs> yeah, I feel good. I mean, it's it's tough because I feel I I simultaneously feel relaxed and stressed because if I'm away and offline for a long time, which to me is more than you know, like the weekend, um, and even on the weekend, it's sort of I get a bit stressed out and I can't keep up. Like when I get home, I get really stressed because I'm like I don't know what's going on. I have like way more emails than I'm used to. Like I'm not caught up on anything. I have to like, yeah, like rush around and do all the errands that I can't keep up with, um, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, it was it was nice. I mean, it's it's good to get offline, and um, we did lots of like outdoorsy things. Got some oysters and clams on the beach. We uh, caught some cool. crabs. I put Emma on a paddleboard with me oh my God, and made that her was come so into funny. the ocean. She was so good. She was so cute. She's like, like she doesn't like water at all. But I like put a towel down so she'd be comfy, and she was like, "Okay, I mean, I guess if this is what we're doing, you're here." <laughs> <laughs> Only a little bit warm. So cute. Yeah. And then she just sat there, like looking yeah, she out just to kind the of ocean. lay down. Yeah, she, yeah, she was good. Um, okay, so moving on, I think uh, today we are talking about whether or not white silence is violence. What do you think? Wow. <laughs> Big question, I know. I mean, so just to preface this, like, we're talking about this because this week there's a couple videos um, circulating on Twitter that show Black Lives Matter protesters in D.C. harassing people, a couple of people at um, some restaurants in D.C. And, you know, sorry, there's a fly in my house. Um, <laughs> I mean, my studio. Um, I mean, my, my professional studio. My complex. <laughs> my compound. <laughs> <laughs> um and like they're actually did you watch those videos did you see those um i think i just I, sent one of them to you yeah i saw like a, a, sh- a short clip of one there's just been so many videos circulating that i i just don't watch any of them now because i'm yeah. like god knows it's going to be something disturbing it's going to be stressful i don't even want to see any I know there's a lot and a lot of them are really violent and really upsetting. And sometimes I feel bad sending them to you, but I also know that you don't look at most of the things that I send you. So I don't feel too bad. (laughs) I know that you ignore 80% of the things that I send you. This is not a personal thing, by the way. I ignore 80% of all things. I don't think personal. The physical world. (laughs) That's fine. And I mean, I send you way too many things also. So, but I just, I feel comfortable sending you all those things, knowing that you're not feeling like you actually have to look at them. (laughs) Honestly. So, yeah. So one of them is this, like this crowd. It's pretty scary, to be honest. It's this crowd of like, they're all white. 
Um, all the protesters are white. They look like they're maybe, I don't know, 19, 20, young little white kids, like just like hovering over this one woman at a restaurant, screaming in her face. Um, uh, white silence is violence, uh, no justice, no peace. And it was because, um, so there was a black man that was shot by a cop. I don't know how many cops are involved actually in um, Wisconsin and his name was Jacob Blake. He was not killed, but I think he's paralyzed. Um, And so this sparked a bunch of protests. Um, And so this is what happened in DC where the protesters went out on the street and were essentially demanding that everyone they encountered raise their fist in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And this included going up to restaurants where people are sitting down and having a meal and demanding that they participate in this. And some people didn't want to, which I think is quite understandable because I don't know, I wouldn't, if some kid came up and demanded I do anything, I would be like, what? No, why? I don't have to do what you tell me to do. And it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I support the cause. Um, And so they're screaming at this woman and her name was, I, um, there was a a journalist that interviewed her a bit and I just want to, okay. So it was a Washington post reporter, Frederick Kunkel, um, who talked to this woman and she told him first, she told him, I felt like I was under attack and she said that, that she felt there was something wrong about being coerced to show support. Um, and she also told him that she supports the protesters and that she'd been marching with them for weeks. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing, like, it, it's true. Like, I don't, I don't ever feel, I mean, as soon as I feel pressured to do anything, I sort of back off and won't do it. Because I'm not going to do anything under pressure. I want to think it through and make a decision for myself. And I think, in fact, that sort of, that might be an abnormal reaction. I don't know if you think that. But it seems to me that most people, when they feel, like, pressured to do something like that, will just be like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, Black Lives Matter, I support it. Whereas there's a certain maybe personality type that is like, wait, no, like, you can't force me to repeat after you like what are we doing what are we talking about what am i showing why do i have to do this like (laughs) that's agreeableness remember we were talking about the big five personality traits oh okay i don't remember what mine are do i don't Um, even know what mine are do do we know what mine are (laughs) did we do this um no that's a different test but um this is a kind of you did the uh, MBTI. So the oh, big okay. five is just kind of like the core traits that um, we can make assessments on general populations with. And so what you're talking about is that um, people generally tend to be more agreeable, as in they'll go along with the group in order to maintain um, social cohesion um, where you, when being compelled to go along with a group, are less interested in social cohesion and more interested in maintaining what is personally correct for you. So, hmm. yeah, there's I a like that. 
<laughs> I don't respect that. I, well, I don't know if it's that I don't respect it. It's that I can't relate to that. I think that's weird. Uh-huh. Um, like, cause to I'm, me, that's like lacking in integrity a little bit. Like you'd prefer to just yeah. go along with the crowd or what you're told or whatever, rather than do whatever it is you think is right or ethical. And that you're also just doing things without thinking about it at all, which I think is actually potentially dangerous. Mm, I'm trying to get an average of how... The tricky thing with personality measures is that they're all standardized. So they're all compared against the average population against the norms so they're all norm standardized Mm -hmm. so for you I would say that your agreeableness is quite low that's compared to the average there's not it's not like a score of one to ten and one is that you're never agreeable and ten is that you're always agreeable it's that there's a spectrum and we compare it against the general population so compared to the general population you're probably quite low and you would say, well, that's having integrity. That's actually having like an opinion and standing up for yourself and blah, blah, blah. And other people would say, well, you're um, being contrarian. You're mm-hmm. stirring shit up for no reason. You're going against the grain and you're making people uncomfortable without good cause. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Um, I mean... I think, I mean, sometimes it's, well, often I would say it doesn't really have anything to do with standing up for anything. Sometimes it might, but often I think it's just that if I'm not sure, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. So that is connected to things like, you know, hashtag movements um, and internet social trends where it's like, you got to post this, you got to say this, you got to, you know, post this black square um you got a hashtag support for whatever it is or whomever it is and if you don't it means that you're complicit your silence is complicity and it means that because you didn't say you know like i support this person or i'm against racism or whatever it is that means that you automatically agree with racism and don't support this person or this movement or what have you. You don't Mm -hmm. actually want to support and empower women because you didn't post a black and white (laughs) selfie of yourself looking pretty on Instagram, Mm -hmm. hashtagged (laughs) whatever the fuck that hashtag was. I don't Mm -hmm. even remember anymore. Um, But uh, yeah, so this is sort of where this, white white silence is violence thing comes in i mean this has come up before but specifically um in this context the other the other video was uh a bunch of protesters yelling at this couple at a mexican restaurant um and those weren't all white protesters actually so it was just for whatever reason that that other group was like full of only white kids um but I mean, I thought I think that like the first video I thought was interesting, particularly because this journalist talked to her after and she said that she supported Black Lives Matter and that she'd been protesting alongside all these people. And these these kids, this group are trying to attack her in like a really aggressive, scary way mm-hmm. and essentially are accusing her of being racist because she won't raise her fist, not knowing 
what she thinks, what she does, you know, what her activism consists of, what she thinks. She's just like, I don't want to be ordered to do this. And you're screaming in my face and demanding I raise my fist or else like in a really like intimidating and bullying way. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, and, and, and repeating white silence is violence over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody at Alabastard in the comments says it's forcing people to bark like a trained seal. Totally. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just not going to do it. And people have tried to do that to me um, through feminism or what have you. Like, well, do you believe? Like, do you support? do you or do you not? And it's like, no, this is not how I do things. Like I'm going to come to my own conclusions and I'm going to say what I think when I feel comfortable, which means I'm going to think this through really clearly. And, you know, people should support other people in doing that. You shouldn't attack people who don't knee jerk. You should support people who want to think things through and explore all the ideas, all the data, hear from, you know, different experts, like hear a variety of opinions before coming to a conclusion and taking action in a way that they think is productive or right or ethical or whatever it is. Um, And you can see this backfiring on people all the time, the knee jerkers, because they'll, Mm -hmm. you know, post a black square or black lives matter with the hashtag black lives matter and then get yelled at by a bunch of like social justice warriors saying like don't use that hashtag you're clogging up the hashtag and now you're being racist because you're taking over space that's supposed to be for black voices in this fucking hashtag like like oh fuck post unpost like you should be quiet your white person be quiet like okay i'll be quiet why are you saying something like all this shit right it's just all like turns into a power game it's so funny. It's so it's so funny that you point out that they're all young because I feel like that's the overarching theme here is that and I'm not saying all protesters or all uh hyper progressive whatever they call themselves. I'm not saying they're all adolescents, but they all have traits that are associated with being adolescents. So, for example, when you say there is a woman in a restaurant that's being yelled at and, and these people are standing over and saying, you have to put your fist up. If you don't, you're racist. And they're trying to, like, call out. They're trying to find the racist person. They're trying to get that target, get the enemy. Um And there is a few things they're doing. One is the black and white splitting. So they're trying to split the world up into the good versus bad categories, which Mm -hmm. is a very immature mindset and it's very unhealthy. Um, But they're also doing that thing, that social conformity thing that we do a lot through our adolescent phase, which is trying to create social belongingness and the in-group and out-group dynamics are really important when we're teenagers like remember getting kicked out of like a friendship group when you're a teenager and it's literally the end of the fucking world because your social belongingness is the whole point you're at that phase of your life where you're meant to be creating social belongingness and your identity is created through that social belongingness. So you need to work out who's in my in-group, who's in my out-group. It's the most important thing in my life right now. 
And, okay. the, and of course, they're all doing it. Now they're doing it with their uh, hashtag movements and their activism. It's a way of creating the in-group and out-group, creating their social belongingness. And, yeah, like let's go around to restaurants and fucking scream at the person who won't join our group because we've we've created an identity now. We've found out who we are. We've found out who our group is. We belong. Like right. this is important. This is – and they'll say like, oh, it's actually about racism. It's actually because we care about black people. And I'm like – Mm, I think part of it is that you care about your social belongingness. You care about fitting into the group. You care about your identity. I would say that you know very little about racism. I would say that you know more about how it feels if you belong in the group or if you don't belong in the group. And you're going with what feels like belonging, not with what feels like effective strategies to target racism. I don't think they've even read any of, like you said, I want to read this material first. I want to know something first. I want to have the conversations related to racism before I jump on the bandwagon. These people don't want to do that. They want to jump on the bandwagon. The bandwagon's their identity. There's no data involved in their identity. It's just a social movement. It could be a social movement for any fucking thing. That's why I'm sure that all these people that have put their Black Lives Matter and their activism and all that shit in their bios this week, they'll change it in a few months. It'll be some other trend will come in and they'll fucking change it in a few months because they don't care about racism and black people. They care about looking good to their friends. And it's very normal for teenagers to do it. It's totally... That's what we expect teenagers to do. But there's a lot of adults doing it now too. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, the interesting thing about these movements is that these people get so passionate, let's say, about whatever the current trendy movement is to the point of being very aggressive and hyperbolic and vitriolic and, you know, in some cases violent. And it's like, this isn't, a new problem and i'm not saying in order for it to be justified to care for you know to be justifiable that you care about something that you have to always have cared about it because obviously as we grow and learn we're like oh this is going on oh my god this is terrible we should do something you can't have always known but at the same time it's like well this isn't really a new problem and where were you last year and where are you going to be next year? Like when the trend is something different right now, this is like, it's more about attaching yourself to a trend than I think it is about actually doing something productive. And obviously it's not about doing something productive. If you're screaming at somebody who actually is an ally And bullying her and attacking her, like, is this supposed to, what is this supposed to accomplish? Like, if anything, she's going to be like, I don't want to go to a protest with these psychos. Like, you know what I mean? And, and like you say, I mean, you're right that it's, you know, these slogans, like, you know, silence is betrayal, white silence is violence, neutrality, neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim, they fit this all or nothing. Um, you're with us or against us, like this black and white thinking that you've been talking about. Like you're either with us with every single thing that we say and do, or you're the enemy. And in many cases, if you're the enemy, that means actually that you deserve to be attacked or you deserve violence. Um, and, 
I that's not going to accomplish anything. You know, it's not going to educate people if that's what you think you're doing. I have to stop raising this hand because of my weird broken nail. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I only use my left hand from now on. That's the important things. Um, <laughs> don't show everybody your shitty nails. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's just, and yeah, and it's, it is, it, like you say, I mean, it sort of makes sense if you're a teenager to, to engage in that kind of behavior. But I find it embarrassing that adults are participating. <laughs> are you laughing I'm at me now? Same. No, I'm laughing about the adults that are participating because I see them doing it. Um, a lot of therapists do it. I think part of it is um, the part of it is also the problem that everyone has an online brand now because everyone has social media now. Um, and there's like a couple of parts to that. One is that um, teenagers kind of lead the lead the charge in social media because it's so central to social belongingness and they use it so much for measuring. It's a real like hard data fact around like how much social belongingness did you have you can count your likes like did you get more likes or less likes it's really important and that's totally normal for teenagers to do that um but then you see adults replicating that behavior and I think part of that yeah some of these people are professors 100 percent um part of it is two things. One is that everyone has this online brand now to create. So um, there is a kind of, there's always a spectacle of how we perform ourselves online, how we perform our brand online, as opposed to just being who the fuck we are online. So they're managing optics, they're doing PR, which is normally what companies would do, you know, like you would sit back and be like, okay, what's the right thing to say that's not going to piss off our customers? Let's manage expectations and let's give positive feedback and let's do all the right things and use the right keywords. What are the right keywords that people are using? Okay, add those to the sentence, done. Like that's usually what companies do to manage PR. But all these people are now doing it for their own social media profiles, which is wild. No one's just being real. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is that the the adults that are doing this behavior are, I think, in some ways, you know, not ha have not really progressed through the phases that we would expect adolescents to progress through. So when you were saying before that they expect you to sign on 110% or you're kicked out. That's that kind of enmeshment codependency type dynamic that we mm -hmm. talked about a few weeks ago where it's like you have to be totally aligned to me and anytime I sense that you're not, I have to reject you because it'll personally hurt me if you don't fully align with me. And that's a very adolescent mindset and it's normal for children to do that if you piss off a child one little thing they'll go you're not my friend anymore I hate you and then like they'll eventually get over it and they'll go back to you being good and they're kind of doing that I don't think that they've actually worked through the shit that you're meant to work through <laughs> as a teenager which is like holding the 
holding the non-duality, holding the space for more than one viewpoint, um, letting there be gray in between the black and the white, like letting people be who they are and not taking it personally, mm. having boundaries. Like I think a lot of this comes down to boundaries. Like there's boundaries between me and you. You're allowed to think differently. I don't have to take it personally. It'll be okay. Also, I think there's still... Uh, overemphasizing how important they are. So, like, if you don't fully agree with me, that means something about me, and it also means that it's going to affect the whole fucking world. The whole world will burn down if Megan doesn't agree with every single thing I say on this YouTube. Like, dude, no one fucking cares. You're not that important. Like, your little opinions on the internet, I have lots of little opinions on the internet. I know they're not going to change anything. That's why I don't get too attached to them. That's why I don't really care if people do or don't agree. But well, if and you, you might change your mind. mind. Yeah, but I think if you think you're super important and you have a pretty adolescent mindset, you need to get people on side with you. And the more people you have on side, the more likely you are to save the world, which is what social justice warriors think they're going to do, right? They're going to mm. save the They're going to fix racism. Those <laughs> protesters probably resolved racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They screamed at that woman and everything was fixed. They picked yeah. the right target. They picked yeah. the most racist woman in D.C., and screamed and at her until she became unracist again. If, if they can just get her and Trump to change their mind, then I think you'll find that racism across the whole world is completely dissolved and it'll be replaced with something else. But we'll only find out once her and Trump change their minds. <laughs> I wanted to, I was like, when I was reading about um, white fragility and white silence is violence online. I came across this article um, in Elle magazine. Uh, and so I just wanted to like read some of it because I think like, I actually like, I don't think, you know, in some ways I understand what's behind the sentiment. Um, this idea that if you're not speaking out, you're complicit that sentiment, because I feel like I've, felt that way you know like mm-hmm. I've felt really betrayed by people who won't speak about speak out about gender identity for example because I get so much shit and hate and you know I've put myself so much at risk for speaking about that so it does you know make me feel really upset and angry often when people won't say something Um, But at the same time, you know, I'm talking about people who I know already see this as a big problem and as dangerous for women, like people who are really concerned about it, but won't say anything because they're scared about what their friends will think. Um, Not necessarily. And and I also wouldn't accuse people of of violence who weren't perpetrating violence. But, um, you know, I understand what might be a feeling of betrayal or anger that, you know, I'm doing something. So why aren't you doing something? But at the same time, I mean, these people, these white kids, well, and all the, like on all the white people that I know online who are posting incessantly about, you know, like black lives matter 
not just in a raising awareness kind of way, but in a really aggressive attacking kind of way where it's like, if you're not saying anything, you're complicit and you're just as bad as any racist and na 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 like those people. And like, you know, like you don't feel you're not personally affected by this issue. You know, you're not at, you're, you're not experiencing racism as a black person in America. Um, you live in Canada, you're white, you know, this isn't your thing. Um, you know, you're not at risk of getting shot by a cop. Um, and so I don't know that that can be compared reasonably. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't know what you're mad about. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. what you're mad at everyone about. I don't know what you could possibly feel betrayed by, you know, like when I'm saying, you know, say something like stop being such a wuss like this is important this matters and the rest of us who are speaking out about it are getting we're we're putting our lives in danger or our careers or you know whatever it is um you know we're risking a lot so please like stand up and say something you know this does this does affect us as women it affects all women and again like the the risk and the impact is is clear to me and i do feel betrayed you know when somebody will say something to me privately but then will go along with their friends who are screaming about transphobes and turfs and you know disassociate from me because they they experience pressure from their stupid irrelevant retard friend group Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) you're talking about very specific situations where like you've personally gone out of your way to connect with people share your viewpoints like have constructive conversations and be like oh I'm really glad that you know we both have different perspectives but we we respect one another still we can be friends still like we can still you know work together and then later have them make a big public announcement like, fuck Megan Murphy, she's a piece of shit and I hate her and everyone better unfollow her. Like, they're very specific people. Why do I have mutual friends with Megan Murphy? <laughs> I mean, those are actually betrayals. Those are actually things where people have built private relationships with you and then turned against you publicly. Like that's an actual friendship betrayal. I think the people who are saying white silence is violence are not people who have been in a situation where they have seen racial discrimination taking place and then they saw a friend who they had previously had conversations about this situation with turned a blind eye in the matter in the in the moment of it happening that's not Mm. what they're talking about they're just saying like oh well you didn't post the black square so fuck you yeah really what if they were just like offline that day (laughs) what if if somebody what if a family member died no i guess it's not it's not enough what if they just don't like to get political on the internet yeah which seriously, we could use more of those people right now. We really could. Um, okay, so I want to, <laughs> I want to um, read you some of this this article from Elle magazine, so that maybe you can respond a little bit. 
So this is by Alicia Liu. Um, and this is an older article. So it's, uh, it was written, you know, like a week after George, George Floyd was shot. So last week as Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin ground his knee into George Floyd's neck. Three other officers, silent accomplices to murder, stood by and watched as his body went limp. As the video of George's murder spread across every media platform, the collective wounds of black trauma were reopened, wounds which have been left to fester for far too long, wounds which will never start to heal unless those with privilege and power start caring less about being uncomfortable and more about human decency and dignity. Um, Many white people have been genuinely outraged by this crime how can this happen they ask the ugly truth is that it happened because it has been allowed to happen over and over and over before every time you chuckled when a colleague made an off-color joke every time you followed a black person around the store every time your heart broke at the news of racial injustice but you did nothing you made space for this to happen So, I mean, to be fair, people say this in feminism a lot. Hmm. Um, You know, they'll be like, okay, you didn't, and I think I've said this kind of thing way back when, when I, when I kind of was writing about this, you know, seven years ago or whatever. Um, You know, if somebody makes a sexist comment and you don't intervene, you're complicit Mm -hmm. and you're participating and you're allowing misogyny to flourish. And, you know, if you know that this guy is a rapist or a domestic abuser or an asshole and you don't say anything, you're complicit. You know, you're sort of allowing that guy to continue to abuse or assault women, or to just, you know, behave in misogynist ways, because you didn't intervene. Um, and, I mean, I don't agree with that statement anymore. <laughs> Would you like <laughs> to explain why? Well, I mean, it's just not as simple as that. I mean, it's not, right. you know... You can't always, first of all, you're not going to always respond in the fantasy way in any given situation. Like often somebody says something and you kind of don't really catch on until a couple of days later and you're like, oh, wait, what did that mean when that, maybe, the, you know what I mean? Like maybe that thing that they did was kind of weird. Like when, when things happen, you don't necessarily like react instantly or interpret it in I don't know, a politicized way. Um, But also, I mean, it's, it doesn't make you, I don't agree that it makes you complicit just because you don't say something in a certain scenario. And maybe somebody makes a sexist joke and you don't find it sexist. Like maybe somebody else finds it sexist. Maybe somebody else is triggered by that. Maybe somebody else interprets it in a way that, you know, is offensive and you interpret it in a different way. Um, it's just not as simple as that. And maybe you don't want to go around policing everybody all the time. Maybe it's not like that's how you want to spend your life where you go around lecturing everybody who says something that's sexist or racist or 
I don't know what the other things are. <laughs> have you ever said have you ever said male silence is violence? No. No, I didn't think so. No. No, I'm not that extreme. I'm just saying I'm sort of I'm trying to understand where these people are coming from and I'm also trying to be accountable. Um, I don't want to be like, oh, these people are crazy. Why would they do that thing? When it's like, oh, well, I probably participated in something similar at some point. Like, I sort of get mm-hmm. it, even though now I don't agree with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, can I, I guess. But can you re- just remember what you're about to say? Because I really want to ask this question. What is the right response? So, for example, as is just someone asked in the comments, if you witness domestic violence, what if you witness domestic violence and say nothing? Well, I think um, most of us have probably been in situations where we know of or experience or know someone who experienced domestic violence. And at the end of the day, the right response is actually really complex. Mm-hmm. Um, And so this thing about like speak out and like call them out and do something, it's like that's not always the uh, best practice advice based on what we know works in situations of violence. I mean, I'll tell you what I've done when I've witnessed situations that I think might be domestic violence. So, you know, I'm not actually, I've never actually been in, a house with somebody where I'm witnessing actual domestic violence, but I've been in a car or out on the street and seen a couple fighting to the point that I thought it was a situation of domestic violence and he seemed to be threatening her and she was seemed scared or was trying to get away, or it just seemed like a situation that might get out of control in a violent way. I've called the cops. So I don't know. Does that make me a racist? Or does it make me somebody who intervened in a domestic violence situation? Because sometimes that couple's been indigenous. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know. Yeah, this is, uh, this is one of the ones. Or is that like, not, is that not what you're supposed to do either way? Because I'm then, you know, like I'm calling the cops and the cops are no friend to feminists, as I'm told many times, like, Which, as though that's like a true blanket factual statement always as if some cops aren't shit and some cops aren't good. Yeah, I mean. yeah. Um, I told you about this like maybe last week or the week before where I had the massive falling out with a friendship group in Australia about like what was the racist or not racist thing to do. And like one of the things that, seemed to be one of the issues in that situation was um, the advice was both if you see, if you're seeing um, violence happening within uh, Aboriginal communities, um, you have to do something because if you do nothing, you're racist. But then also if you call the cops, you're racist because the cops might be racist and it's like, okay, so then what do you actually want people to do when they're actually witnessing violence or a potential assault happening? What is the non-racist response that would minimise harm and maximise everyone's safety in that situation? And and there are these, uh, there are these like, minor kind of things coming out now, like um, 
you can potentially call out social workers in some situations. But, like, that's not all. If someone's got a weapon, are you going to call out a social worker? Probably not. (laughs) So this thing of, like, do the right thing, do the non-racist thing. Like, if your life is being threatened or someone you see, regardless of their colour, their life is being threatened, are you going to do, who are you going to call? You're going to call someone. Who is it going to be? Who is the right person? And if every answer is a racist answer, then maybe we don't have enough answers. Maybe calling people racist isn't an answer. We need to actually find something better than just everyone's racist, every answer is racist, every solution is a racist solution. Like why or- are there no solutions? Yeah, or it's just always a trap. Like, it's, I don't know, I find that there's this, we're in, like, this cultural moment where there's an expectation that everybody knows how to respond and react in the right way. Um, And, of course, that changes all the time. Like, you'll see it in, people post on social media things like, here is the right way to respond to somebody who's grieving. Here is the wrong way to respond to somebody who's struggling with depression, and here's what you should do instead and it's not posted in like uh like here are some helpful tips if you're wondering it's 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 posted in like an aggressive way and in a judgmental way where it's like why do people always do this shit like i'm going through depression i don't want to hear this like i don't want to hear this about my weight i don't want to hear this about my mental illness i don't want to hear this when i'm struggling just leave me alone and there's an assumption that you should know And most people don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to respond to somebody who's struggling with depression. I don't know how to respond to someone who's struggling with grief. I don't know how to respond. Like, in any given scenario, we're also dealing with individuals. And how I would want someone to respond to me if I was dealing with a challenging situation, I imagine would be quite different than how somebody else would like to be dealt with or responded to, you know, partly because like, I'm the kind of, I'm, you know, I don't like this extrovert introvert shit, but I am kind of extrovert and I do like to talk things through and process. So, and I, I don't ever get offended when anybody asks me anything. People seem to get very offended by questions. Like, how dare you ask me this? Whereas like, how dare you pronounce my name wrong? (laughs) Like, whereas I don't care. Like I don't take any of this stuff personally. Like, um, but I mean, like, so there's this expectation in feminism or in, you know, other social justice movements where you should just know what the best way to respond to somebody who's, you know, for example, dealing with a situation of domestic violence, um, what you should do, what you should say, what you shouldn't do. And most people who aren't trained professionals really won't know. And they're just going to like, it's like, uh, like I can't do anything. I can't intervene. Like I probably would intervene if it came down to it, to be honest, you know, like if I've, I've seen somebody trying to punch somebody else and I instinctually just like grabbed them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that, like, how do you know what to do not to make it worse? Like not to make the man angry at her because now you've gotten people involved and all these people are staring at us. And so I'm going to blame you and like, beat you up for that like these things are really complex um and people are very into judging other people about 
intervening or not intervening or doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is we're all expected now to have like the skills of like a social worker and a psychologist when looking at issues around racial discrimination or violence against women or any of these things. And at the end of the day, people will do the best that they can with what they know at the time when they're faced with those situations. And that's why so many of these issues are systemic. And I don't like that word because a lot of yuppies use it to think that they sound smart and like, oh, racism is systemic. Like I've just learned this thing and I'm going to put it all over my Instagram. Like You have no idea what that means. But the fact is that there aren't actually enough services available. So, for example, there aren't the right people to call when you're seeing something happen that you think could potentially invite in racial discrimination when you call on a service provider. That's not an ideal solution, but we don't have a better solution at this stage. So that's the only solution we have. Well, and there has to be one number to call. (laughs) <laughs> like 911, for example, there can't be like a situation where you're like, oh shit, this is getting out of control. This is dangerous. Shit, he has a, who, like, what, yeah, which one? worker do I call? Like, there just, there has to just be one number that you call and everybody has to know that number and you have to not think about it or look it up or have to Google it. Yeah. I That's agree. That's why we have numbers like 911. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I I want to read you some more of this article, um, but a lot of people are offering advice in, in the live stream here, which is helpful, but it's also, like, isn't the appropriate response whatever will keep the person being victimized most safe given all the relevant factors? Like, that's a lot of factors and you don't know, you have no idea what the situation is. Like, I don't know. I remember seeing like a a couple fight and they both seemed pretty young. And he, to me seemed like he was getting aggressive and I was worried that he was going to hit her. So I kind of stood and like watched so I could like keep an eye and see what's going on. And this was in a really, really busy area. This is that main and terminal in Vancouver. Um, and then, he I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but like he took off and she was wasted. And I was like, here, do you want cab fare? Like, where are you going? Like, do you want bus fare? And she was like, no, 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 no. Like, didn't want it. Didn't want any help. And I finally just, I gave her like a bus ticket. Cause I was like, didn't want her to get stranded or whatever. Um, but there's often kind of not that much that you can do. And yeah, you don't really know what the situation is, unfortunately. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's frustrating when all that gets politicized, especially with the, the cop stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, cops will just make it worse. Like they won't, they won't help. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't know who else is going to help. And sometimes they do help. And Mm -hmm. there's only a certain amount of things that we can do. (laughs) Right. Um, But Ask this as why do you still have bus tickets? This was like, I don't know, 10 years ago. <laughs> do not have bus tickets anymore. <laughs> I'm rich now, guys. Relax. I have I a take car. Ubers. <laughs> I have a truck, actually. <laughs> no, you couldn't pay me to get on the bus. 
Um, <laughs> at the time, I was still taking the bus. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So here is the... I'm going to read more from this article. As anger around George Floyd's murder spilled out of Minneapolis onto streets across the U.S. and over the border and fury swept across social media, some people were conspicuously silent. When a popular white blogger I follow posted a picture of her latest Louis Vuitton purse to Instagram, instead of using her huge platform to speak out against George Floyd's murder, I commented and shared my disappointment that she, I'm sure very politely, (laughs) that she had failed to take a stance against racism. One of her white followers offered, bad things happen every day all over the world. This is true. Bad things do happen every day. But why, when an injustice towards the black community is acknowledged, is there a need for an immediate defensive mechanism? Despite being traumatized and emotionally depleted after days of anxiety-ridden sleep and sudden outbursts of tears, I had to explain yet again how white people everywhere directly benefit from systems designed to keep black people oppressed and that it is their duty to use their privilege and platforms to openly condemn racism and amplify black voices. Right. What do you think? Is that the whole thing? (laughs) No, this is the part where I want you to comment. I mean, um, there's more. Don't worry. Why do you really like this article? It's just really painful. (laughs) Like, firstly, why are you following an annoying white blonde influencer who posts Louis Vuitton if you're then going to complain about it in an article? Like, don't follow that shit. Yeah. yeah, like is that if you want if you want to see political commentary about racism, maybe you should choose some different follows. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> but this is part of the problem. Why are you following influencers. This is part of the problem with um, everyone having their brand on um, social media. Is that like? Now everyone's like, okay, you've got to do PR. So part of your PR is that you've got to post a black square. You've got to make the right response. You've got to use the right words. Like a lot of these people are not educated or qualified or even worth having an opinion on any of these topics. Like if you're an influencer who posts about brunch and makeup and astrology, you should probably just stick to those topics and that's fine. It's worse for them to start posting about racism. I'm sorry, but it's really annoying when uh people who don't know shit about politics, don't know anything about the topic, Start And everybody did this with the Black Lives Matter thing. Everybody, every celebrity, every influencer, they did exactly what this woman who wrote this article wanted them to do, which is to just start madly posting whatever everybody else is posting without knowing anything or thinking about it at all. And like that's I wouldn't you I don't I don't know wouldn't you rather they say nothing like it's why do I need to hear from some influencer who posts photos of like ridiculously priced ugly purses about racism why would you even <laughs> expect that of her I know like let her post her fucking purses go follow someone else yeah do you know what I've I really on this uh, type of thing I revert back to. Um, how again, because this is like this has become a PR exercise the same way companies do PR. And I think if we're going to run our social medias the way companies run their PR mechanisms, then we should engage in ethics 
the same way companies engage in ethics. And companies who do ethics well, which I think is possible, I don't think it's always, uh, I think oftentimes ethics is used as a way to leverage uh, more political power and lobbying power, but some companies do still do some ethics stuff well. And for example, they will partner with organizations that are working on a topic that they can actually help with, they can actually make change on. Like a technology company will partner with someone that's trying to roll out um, internet coverage in an area that's never had it before. And they will facilitate that process because it totally aligns with what they already do. And all they needed to do was partner with a few other organizations to get the process happening. They don't, for example, become a fucking lobby group who say like, you all have to vote for this particular person because they're going to fund this particular thing. They don't go outside of their uh, experience or skills. So they use what experience and skills they have to make incremental positive change. And I think people can do this too. Like if you're an influencer and I don't fucking know, you go to Bali every year to take photos of your ass for your Instagram. Maybe you could partner with some charities in Bali that are doing really good work because you have the time to meet with them, to do photos with them, and you can raise awareness of that that way. But to jump from, like you say, posting about Louis Vuitton and brunch to I've decided that racism in America is all I'm going to talk about from now on, it's like you don't know anything. Like, you could at least partner with some people to discuss the issue, but as it stands, you are an absolute moron talking about things you know absolutely nothing well, about. Nothing. Sincere. Of like course. it doesn't seem totally like sincere. it seems like you're doing it to avoid, you know, chicks like this, this writer for L or whatever, posting something on your feed saying, why did you post a purse and not something about black lives matter? Like it's phony. Why do you like, why do you value people making insincere social media posts over actually saying what they believe or, you know, doing something useful? Like, I don't know. You just, it's, it's this strange idea that you can force your opinions and your politics and your actions on other people. And I don't know where that comes from. It is like a whole culture of codependence. I think I'll move on to something else after. Before it was attachment theory. Now it's codependence. <laughs> like, so, I don't know what it's going to be next month. But <laughs> this is what I'm on now. Everyone put is it a in, codependent. <laughs> put it in your bio, Megan. Um <laughs> But the thing is, it's it's part of it is their codependency, but part of it is also their narcissism in thinking that their fucking online opinion is really going to make a difference in right. these huge global issues that they don't even know what they're saying. Like when they say systemic racism, they have no fucking clue. They just read it in one article somewhere on Vice and they've decided that it's the right thing to say. But it's, to it's totally outside of their field of experience or knowledge. 
And that's why I'm saying like they could make little changes to be more ethical in things that they actually have experience and knowledge with. Like, mm. I don't know, maybe they have a family member with a disability and they could raise awareness because they actually have some experience with that and bring some value to people in that community. But instead they jump on the bandwagon of like, this is what everyone else is telling me to say. So I'm going to say it. And, but I have to say, People force them into doing it. So we're criticizing them for being fake and for doing these PR exercises. But these influencers are forced into being fake and doing PR exercises by yeah. women like this writer who are like, why don't you post about this instead of Louis Vuitton? Like, why are you following her? Why are you following her if you want to talk about racism? And then you're blaming her for not talking about the thing you wanted to talk about. But you followed her for the Louis Vuitton. And now you're mad that shit, it's not about racism. What the fuck? Well, and like, do you even believe it? Like, do you even believe that she's mad? That, that like, why do you give a shit? Like, I don't, mm. influencers, like, I don't want to follow an influencer in the first place. But mm. yeah, like I said, I certainly don't want to hear about politics from influencers. But, you know, like, are you genuinely, do you, are you really mad that that chick didn't post something about racism or black lives matter. And, or, or is it that you wanted to say something on the internet so that you could virtue signal and then you could write an article about it, like, and be like, Mm -hmm. gasp, like, why are you using your space to talk about purses? This is how she makes money. This is real Mm -hmm. stick. Like go find somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why you followed her in the first place. You followed her for this. And now you're mad at her for doing this. Thought thing. you wanted purses. She has followers because of all of her great purse posts. So now you want like anti-racism no, posts. You're like, mad at the purses. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, so she concludes. Um, I imagine that blo- that blogger, like many white people, doesn't believe she is racist. But every white person must know this, whether you like it or not. If you are not speaking out. You are complicit in the system of oppression. Black people are no longer accepting thoughts and prayers and love and light. We don't need your virtual hugs or heart emojis. We will no longer be reduced to hashtags and viral videos. This is great, great news. Um, What is required and what is long overdue is for white people to start having uncomfortable conversations with and amongst themselves For white people, people say this in feminism too, men are supposed to shut the fuck up and talk amongst themselves. For white people to take personal accountability for how they continue to perpetuate racism at every level of society, and most importantly, to educate themselves on how to be vocally and effectively anti-racist, and then take that knowledge and apply it every single day. If you don't know where to start, use Google. There's a wealth of resources available. All you have to do is look. So this I find really irritating um because it's that trap where it's like you're supposed to educate yourself but if you learn the wrong things then you're doing it wrong like it's like she knows that there's a specific way that you're supposed to educate yourself and there's specific conclusions that you're supposed to come to and there's specific conversations you're supposed to be having and if you have different ones and you're doing it wrong and your silence is no longer compliance um, your silence is racism and you need to actually sit down and shut up. I mean, like <laughs> so many mixed signals. Which one do you want then? Like 
Yeah, like, and we will no longer be reduced to hashtags and viral videos, but if you don't post something on the internet with the right hashtag, then you're complicit in racism and violence. Okay, one, okay, I just have two uh, questions kind of on a demographic level. One is, like, how does this woman speak for all black people? And, like, which black people is she speaking on behalf of? And the other thing that I'm very confused with in these conversations, and I'm not from the U.S., so maybe there is more of a dichotomy between black and white in the U.S., but, like, uh, a lot of people are brown, and um, so... There's only black and white, Laura. (laughs) Where do they fit? Okay. There's only good and bad and black and white and right and wrong. Anyway, continue with your... Well, I just find it very strange that um, it seems to me that it's only progressives who claim to speak on behalf of oppressed people. So they claim to speak on behalf of black people and they actually make lists now that include completely disparate groups and they lump them together like BIPOCs, black and indigenous and people of color. That is now one group which is a pretty racist claim, I would say, but apparently it's okay when progressives do it because they're doing it for the good of those people and they're speaking on behalf of those people. But don't you fucking dare speak on behalf of those people and don't you fucking dare put them in a list and think that you understand something about them. It's only progressives who can do that. It's so Um, condescending too, right? And it's racist. Like It's like if you don't have the correct progressive opinion whatever BIPOC you are, then you don't count. And you need to listen to me educate you about how to resolve the problems that you have properly. That's how we see. (laughs) The problems that I'm telling you you have, whether or not you agree with me that you have those problems. which You might just be too stupid to understand that that's a problem for you. That is literally one of the things that progressives seem to say is that oppressed people haven't been given the um, empowerment of education around these issues. So we have to educate oppressed people. And that's why you see like this white teenage girl screaming in the face of a 60-year-old black cop because fuck the cops because they're racist. Like this is an old black man and you have absolutely no fucking respect for him for what he's been through but because you're young and progressive you know more about racism than a black man who's lived in america his whole fucking life and you're gonna scream racism on the internet yesterday so you should let that man know (laughs) it's great okay so on the bipoc thing so that's one category right we lump all black and indigenous and people of color into one thing but then they will also lump in um randomly transgender that became the next thing as soon as black lives matter it was black trans lives matter Mm -hmm. okay what do those two categories have to do and like the new oh right and also black trans lives matters that how many points do i get for this this is like some kind of weird like board game where it's like score (laughs) score (laughs) 10 points i win yeah extra 10 points if you say trans um the lgbt flag that they fly in london now is like the rainbow flag but then it has uh, black and brown lines on it because 
black and brown people apparently have something to do with LGBT people. What the fuck are you talking How? And then there's like extra lines for colors for trans people on one side and I think bisexual people on the other side, which is funny because if you understand queer theory, you understand how they kind of cancel each other out, but we won't get into that. So it's very interesting to see how progressives start lumping these people, black people, indigenous people, people of color, gay people, (laughs) all homosexual people, anyone with any kind of LGBT. And those people obviously are all diverse in and amongst themselves. LGBT is now a heavily contested term in and of itself, but they lump that into black and brown people and indigenous people and like uh, people with disability and fat people. Like they, <laughs> they're just kind of collecting these words. And it's like, what are you, do- what are you doing? This is so embarrassing that you don't represent anyone. Who have you spoken to that this represents? Because it's probably just your friends at Harvard. Like, I don't think it's anyone outside of your very small friendship circle that would agree that these identities have anything in common. Well, and I mean, there's a lot of data and there's a lot of studies and polls that show that people of color, that monolith, (laughs) um, they're not, they're not in any kind of majority way on board with these SJW progressive politics. Um, And I was actually, I was listening to the fifth column today and I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember who was saying, but he was like, you know, like every time I'm in a cab with like a white cab driver, he's like grumble, grumble Trump. And then every time I was in a cab with like a POC cab driver, they thought that like, or like an immigrant, I think it was an immigrant, immigrant and POC cab driver. We're like, Trump's great. You know, and that's not a study, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that doesn't provide us <laughs> with statistics. But I mean, I think it's like an example because if you there's there are lots of polls and lots of like data and like lots of research that has been done that shows that it's not like people of color on the whole are, you know, in, in any notable way more supportive of these particular politics and then these white progressives will speak as though they're speaking on behalf of this group and they're saving them and they're you know helping and i don't know why this isn't seen as a colonizer attitude right you know you want to talk about like colonizers and colonialism and you're behaving like a white savior Right. Like, is but nobody noticing out, this? Like, who's out super condescending and, and then talking over voices that contradict what they're saying, even though those voices are the voices they claim to be representing? Mm-hmm. There was a really good article by, uh, I think it was Revolver News, that talked about the decolonizer movement and the kind of woke culture movement that is essentially lumping together these talking points like what we're saying um all black and brown people all lgbt people they all kind of fit in one group and they're all oppressed and we need to do something to liberate them from the white cis heteronormative capitalist patriarchy and it's actually having a real effect in policy where the united states 
when it starts partnering with a developing country somewhere else in the world, will enforce policy that is entirely liberal and goes completely against the cultural norms of that society. For example, like you have to have a pride parade. As soon as you start working with NATO, you have to have pride parades. And it's like that doesn't, that's not part of this culture. There, It's not even in the, it doesn't exist for them. They're not there yet. You can't just force that upon a cultural group that's that's not at that phase that's not moving in that direction so so they're enforcing a narrative of what they believe progress will mean for the whole world not just the united states and then they're claiming that they're doing decolonization they're literally forcing american <laughs> beliefs and values upon the entire world and claiming that it's decolonizing the world it's complete hypocrisy. It's their antithesis to one another. And that's why I say progressives, they don't speak for anyone. When you're, when you're lumping black and indigenous and people of color into one group and saying that you're speaking for them, like you don't speak for anyone. You might speak for your friends at your fancy liberal arts college, but you don't speak for anyone outside of that. You certainly don't speak for anyone outside of the United States debate on this. Because uh, every country has completely different versions of this issue. Somebody in the comments asks, Laura, is this a type of narcissism? Narcissism, Which I'm very interested in narcissism um, mm. in general. So, I mean, we've, we've only got 15 minutes left in the public live stream, but I thought that was interesting. Because, I mean, people use narcissist and narcissism in all sorts of ways. But, mm. I mean, I, I personally do think that it is a form of narcissism narcissism mm. i didn't eat i don't have time to eat dinner on wednesdays anymore i just drink bourbon <laughs> on an empty stomach so at the end of the live stream i can't really always say all the words properly anymore. Um, <laughs> but like you know it is like when you think you know better like i know what's best for you let me tell you and let me like big up myself um, because I'm anti-racist and I'm, you know, I have all the correct politics and you're completely ignoring and erasing any protest from the, the demographic you're speaking on behalf of. Mm. Um, it's interesting. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to me is um, delusions of grandia, which mm -hmm. is um, people who are narcissistic think that, the things that they say and do have this incredibly huge effect on the world. And it really works well for celebrities. For example, in uh, Hollywood where celebrities actually do have a real following and the things they say kind of do have an effect on their fans. So their narcissism is very well validated. But it seems like a lot of Americans do that and a lot of progressive Americans in particular do that when they they claim that their perspective is the perspective and it is incredibly important and incredibly impactful for the whole world and it's like no you're full of shit like to us it's obvious that they're full of shit the unfortunate um kind of flow-on effect is that you have these people making these really dangerous claims that 
do start to have this kind of snowball effect. Like they they start talking in unison. It becomes a chorus. It becomes a movement. It becomes United States expecting other countries to have gay pride parades because that's what young progressives in America are asking for. So on the one hand, they're delusional about their how grand they are, and that is certainly a narcissistic trait. And But then on the other hand, it is kind of reinforced because they are kind of doing the thing, like the thing that they say they're not doing, the thing that they say they're fighting, they are actually kind of doing it. They are actually having a little bit of an impact. Um, narcissism has more to do with, aside from having these wild ideas about how important you are, um, exploitation of other people and like a callous disregard for how you exploit others. And mm. I think that that's actually very, um, I think that's actually very important in the what we're talking about, which I think is the ethnocentrism of American progressives who think that their perspective is the default perspective and therefore they can speak for all people. Therefore, their perspective is relevant to all of the BIPOCs all over the world whom they've never met and have no intention of meeting. But they think that they're the kind of default and that their perspective is unbiased and they speak for all people. Um, And that is, in a way, that ethnocentrism is in a way quite exploitative of other people because it, it doesn't give space for other people to actually have their own perspectives. So so they're kind of doing many of the things that you would see narcissists doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know it's I don't know how to what degree narcissism is going on. I haven't actually looked at the research, but it's there's set certainly links there with the way they're behaving. Mm. Um, there was like one other aspect of this I wanted to talk about, which was actually that I, uh, well, I I mean, so there's this assumption that silence always reflects discomfort or not caring. So they're like, you feel uncomfortable, so you're not saying anything and you have to have these uncomfortable conversations. This is your duty as a privileged person. Or it's just like, you don't give a shit because you're so privileged. And obviously, like, there's a million other reasons why you might not be saying something, which, you know, we talked about before. Like, maybe you don't like posting about politics on the internet. Maybe you don't have an opinion. Maybe you don't know. Um, And... Uh, I actually read a, an essay by James Lindsay about this, and he said the world seems completely bent right now on forcing everyone to become an activist, whether they want to or not. And I think that's so true. It's like, you know, you're you're forcing everybody to be an activist, and I find that odd. And I think that if you were young and an activist, you might say something like. It's your duty. What is it? There's like a there's a saying or like a slogan like activism, activism is the price I pay. I pay. I pay. <laughs> <laughs> For living on this planet. Yeah. Which I again like in some ways I sort of get it because like I can't really imagine not caring like I care a lot about society actually and I care a lot about ethics and I care a lot about how people are treated um and how our world is like obviously i wouldn't do any of the work that i do if i didn't really really 
care and I didn't think it was important, you know, like to think about how we engage with one another and how we treat other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, at the same time, not everyone's like that. And, and most people are kind of just here to live their lives and to just get by. And that's challenging enough for most people, I think, just trying to get by, just trying to survive, just trying to take care of themselves, just trying to take care of their families. Um, and and demanding all this activism from people as though they're all 19-year-old white kids in college. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know a little what? odd. Like, it's but like, that- gosh, do you think that everyone's life is exactly like your life mm-hmm. and you can't imagine what it might be like to have a different life? Mm. But hmm. remember what I was hmm. saying before. Maybe about- you're not taking your own advice. Um. Yeah, 100%. Remember what I was saying before about people who are the adults who are adding activism to their bio and Black Lives Matter to their bio? And it's strange for me because it does make sense when teenagers do it, but it makes less sense when adults do it. Mm. Um, And so what you're saying with um, people who... Oh, what were you just... You you were just explaining it really well. Like when... Uh, <laughs> do you, I remember what I just said? People no. have no. to be, it's this expectation that people must be activists and it, that if everyone was an activist, the world would be inherently better. And that's not really based on any data. It's just this underlying assumption right. in social justice warriors. That's um, a good point, actually. Like, would the world be a better place if everyone was an activist? Right. Like, is that the thing that's going to create the most harmonious society? Yeah. Which is, and I th- think, what we should be aiming for. Not according to these fucking protesters, by the way, because they're yeah. fully engaged in making, like, destroying communities and being violent and looting and attacking everybody. So I thought what we were doing was trying to create, like, a harmonious, equitable, like, society where, you know, we're we're not violent towards one another. But, you mm-hmm. know okay so you (laughs) okay so what I was thinking was in in terms of these adults who I see doing it because in some ways I do understand the teenagers they're doing it for social belongingness but when I see adults adding these things about activism to their bio and changing their brand because it looks good to claim to be doing activism and why isn't everyone else speaking out and we need everyone to be having this conversation because white silence is violence have the right have the right conversations because anytime you don't have a conversation it's because of some inherent fault with you and it's you doing racism or it's you doing sexism or it's you doing oppression if you're not having the conversation and i'm like wow you motherfuckers are rich if you have the time in the day, and I believe they do, to constantly be talking about whatever the activist trend of the minute is, so it's Black Lives Matter for them this month, but I'm sure in a few months they're going to change their bios, there'll be a new trend, there'll be a new activist thing happening, they'll update their brands. And I'm like, because you have the fucking time and money. Do you realize that 99% of the world does not have the fucking time and money to be watching Twitter eight hours a day and replying to every racist thread on Twitter in all caps screaming about how racism is a problem and fuck Trump 2020? Like, do you Most realize that it's because you have time? people in the world still are not on Twitter. 
No shit. But Can like they have it? they have the time and money to create these brands and to create this image of themselves online. And they're angry that God forbid the rest of the world is actually probably like working class or poor and has to has to actually do work to pay their bills and isn't just on Instagram posting black squares and like saying the right things to look cool in front of their friends. Reading like teen people actually articles work. so they know what <laughs> politics to have. Like most educating people educating themselves. Yeah. But <laughs> and so they want to be angry at people for having what actually is in some senses an oppression like lots of people in the developing world are working 18 hours a fucking day they don't have time to update their fucking twitter bio about black lives matter because they're working for like two dollars a day but fuck them they're racist they didn't post a black square so i guess they're they're not really doing activism like it's okay it's Those so superficial save them They'll stop posting about their purses. They'll post a black square, and then that person working 18 hours a day in effect will be saved after they make their purse. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, we're going to Patreon only. I'll just let everybody know that wherever you listen to this, if you can like, subscribe, leave a comment, it's really helpful, especially if you're listening to the actual podcast version. Um, if you can leave a written review, it makes a lot more difference um, for getting it to reach more people. Um, I know it's really easy to click the stars, and of course you're going to click the five star option. Um, but in addition to <laughs> because star. God, me and Laura's commentary is definitely five star commentary, <laughs> always consistently. You if you could comment write- about. Well, how <laughs> you don't care about time. Time <laughs> is an illusion. Um, what you, you really value is the commentary. Also, time is racist. So fuck time. We're actually doing a- anti-racism work here by colonial exactly. concept. Okay. Um, it did. Also, what was the other thing? Subscribe on YouTube. Um, you can leave your written reviews on the Apple podcast app. That's kind of the best place to um, collect reviews. Thank you for your I'm seeing stars. Oh, my God. Time. Laura, this is the same drugs with Megan Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm Megan Murphy. <sighs> okay, we'll see. You Wait, Laura, the- you're Laura McNally. We didn't oh, do I'm any Laura. intro. <laughs> Didn't we? <laughs> no! We didn't even say what this is. We're just like, we're just a couple of chicks chatting on YouTube. <laughs> I'm drunk now. That is so embarrassing. Wait, Thank I you can't... for listening. Okay, guys, see you on Patreon. Thanks for tuning Thanks, in. everybody. See you next Bye. week. We're here on Wednesdays. Wait, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Pacific time. <laughs> Okay, we'll be we'll be on Patreon in a minute. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.